0: So uh, I'm not really sure what I want to talk about, but um, I think I want to uh, just speak on a, in a more general way about our practice, our whole life practice. So there's the you know practice of dana, generosity, of sila, of ethics, and of bhāvana, cultivation. And they all support each other. And uh, you can't really you can't get very far if you leave one out. So they're all needed. They're all expressions of uh, an attunement to to the way things are. And uh, being with my mother at the end of her life, you know, it, was, it was like it was like receiving teachings, just just being with her watching what she was going through and how she dealt with that. Um, and what you know sort of distilled from that process was um, you know, that it really doesn't matter how many people know you, or you know, whether you're in the worldly eyes successful or not successful. It doesn't really matter if you have you know like lots of fans or lots of uh people send you you know christmas cards or whatever it is birthday cards or you know if you've got a website how many people click your website it, it's really not important at all <laughs> and when you get to the at the end of your life you know, none of those things uh have any meaning really and what matters is what you've cultivated what you've cultivated and and also um you know what 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 courage you have brought forward in your life because sometimes you know we can be good you know we might be we might be taught like it's it should be good, you know, it should have good ethics and should be a good person. And, and it can be that, you know, can live many years being a good person, but not really being quite attuned to who you are fully. And so sometimes people need to go, not that I'm encouraging you to be unethical or anything, but sometimes people need to just sort of like cut loose a little bit for a while in order to find what's authentic, what's meaningful, what's, what's genuine. Not everybody has to do this. Some people are just good people who can just go in that direction. And some people need to break out of the mold of, of how one should be in order to find who you are and how are you meant to be showing up in the world. And from there, you know, if you could, if you do that, then you know, from there you can start to live a more in a more authentic way, and there's more of a natural flow of things. So being you know, having a basis of ethics is is very very important, and and they have to be lived authentically, not just some exterior. You know, thou shalt not. So, um, you know, when we attune more fully to, to it's, it's both to, to our needs and to the potential of a human life, you know, what we can give, how we can meet the world, what we can respond to. When we bring both of those things into the picture, the needs and the opportunity, then there's more attunement. There's more alignment with there. With, uh, there's more realness, let's say. And when we come to the end of our life, if we have the time to, to do that, sometimes lives end very suddenly. But if we have the time to consciously go into that ending of this lifetime, you know, anything that's inauthentic is, is so it's so obvious, it's it's to be shed, it's to be grieved, it's to be moved on from. And we don't have to wait until the end to do that. We can do it now. And there's um there's a song, a very, very famous hymn actually in Wales. Called Kalon Lam. This means pure heart, and uh, something I, I, you know, we don't we don't normally sing as Buddhists, but I think with hymns it's kind of okay. But this is a hymn that I sang to my mum quite a bit during the process of her last months, and uh, and it means a pure heart full of goodness. Um actually that's the chorus. So it starts off, um, I don't seek the worldly treasures, gold of the world and um, perfect pearls. I only seek a, um, a heart that's honest, a heart that's good, a heart that's pure, a pure heart full of goodness, like the colour of the beautiful lily. And only a pure heart can sing, sing through the day and through the night. So this is a very famous song in, in Welsh. It's got a very beautiful tune and, and uh, it's pointing to, you know, whatever we can accumulate in our life, is this is not going to give us the happiness that we seek for long. So it's like this person who wrote the song they're saying, and they're not even trying, you know, they're not even, I don't even want that stuff. I don't even want worldly riches. And, you know, I just want to have a pure heart for the goodness. And when we come to the end, you know, that's what we're left with. We're left with our heart, our mind. That's what's left. We're left with our relationships how we've shown up, how we haven't shown up. Uh, We're left with uh, whether we've actually taken, had the courage to do the things that we know we need to do, even if it can be a little bit bumpy for a while, or whether we've just sort of stayed within a box. And... It does seem to me that the you know the path is really about attuning, it's attuning to to presence, to things as they are, to you know learning how to be open to things as they are. And you know, life is not smooth. So I was surprised to find that the the um intention of the I don't know if it's the same in the US but I imagine it is but in the UK there's an aspiration of the you know people in the hospice world and the nursing world and the doctor world whatever the medical profession that at the end of life as you're coming towards the end of life you're meant to experience no agitation this is the this is the intention zero agitation so if you're an arahant it will be like that An arahant will experience zero agitation and it will be no problem. But if you're not an arahant, likelihood is, it's going to be a bit bumpy. So it's interesting. It's like, okay, the aspiration is to have no agitation leading up to death. It's like, since when has life been no agitation? I mean, it's agitating. It's difficult and challenging and, you know, we go up and down and struggle and, Joy and and then magically those last weeks, months, or whatever it is, is supposed to be completely smooth with no agitation. Very odd. So um, my mother's intention was to die consciously, and so the and she was very very clear about that. That did not waver one moment for her. And so the uh, way of managing to remain without agitation is basically you're sedated. That's the only way you can do it. If you're not, you know, if you're not liberated, then you're sedated. And uh, she was clear that she didn't want that. So it was a very conscious process, and uh, you know, with quite some pushback from the from the medical profession, some of the medical profession. And yet there was this very clear intention. And so because of that, she was able to do the work she needed to do in those last days, weeks, and die very, very peacefully and very consciously. And at the end, the last day of her life, uh, which was the day after I spoke to you, I saw you last, um, so that day, it already seemed like she might not make it through the night. And uh, so myself and Mr. Tibbs, the cat, had spent the night in her room, just in case, you know, to be there at the time. And my sister was just a few feet away in her room, listening out. And, uh, and you know, in the morning, she was still going, but peacefully. And then uh, a little bit later in the morning, the district nurse came thinking that she would have passed away. She'd been with us the day before. And, and I greeted her at the door and I was like, amazingly, she's still going, you know. And, and uh, the district nurse was was quite moved. And she said, you know, it really puts into question our medical practice of uh, putting people into this sort of sedated state at the end of their life. And she was uh, very, very, um, very moved at this willingness to stay conscious. Determination, really, to stay conscious. My mother had made, and a little bit later, like maybe two hours after the district nurse came, she passed. She breathed her last breath very peacefully. And then, uh, you know, then there's the, and then she's done her work. She's done what she came here to do. She's she's good, and then you know we've got our work now of like being with the loss and learning how to grow more and you know hopefully carry some of those good qualities along into our own lives more fully but you know it's like death is it's like the last it's our last chance this time around and uh, you know, when I lived with Ajahn Samedo, he would say again and again and again, die before you die. I think it's actually a Sufi saying, perhaps, die before you die. So it's like, you know, let's get on with it now. How do we how do we stay conscious? How do we become unconscious? What are the ways that we zone out? which we need to sometimes. I mean, I I need to sometimes. I don't always manage to to meet the moment as openly as I'd like to. But it's like, okay, so where where does the mind go? Where do we go? Where are the um, comfort zones and the, the ways that we manage those challenging edges of life? And then knowing them, you know, and not being a harsh judge on them. We can't, you know, this is also very, it becomes very clear. It's like we, we sometimes think that we can, we're in control of our practice, you know, we, we're making it happen. And we are guiding it and we are putting the effort in. But basically, you know, a lot of this is the result of past action. So obviously, how we're meeting the moment is very, very important because that will be past action at some point. But at certain times, you know, it's just past action. It's just karma working itself out. You know, we can't anymore make things happen a certain way. We just got to kind of go with it. So I, I, know, I saw that very clearly with the dying process. It's like, okay, now we're at a point where. It's just got to be, things have just got to be met. They just had to be met like this. And a lot of good stuff had been put in place earlier by my mum, which was great. And probably by myself and my sister too, in getting ready. And then, you know, that process did its thing. It had its own time. It had its own way. The breathing, the rhythm of the breath had its own natural process. And now, with the, with, uh, for us that are left behind, you know, the grieving process, it's like, oh, so interesting. It's so different to what I thought it would be. It has its own process too, its own energy, its own pace. And it's like, it's not really, it's not like I can say I want it to be this way or that way or even like, well, I've reflected on this for a long time and therefore I'm not going to experience it. No, it's it's kind of impersonal almost. So just allowing for that, that, those ebbs and flows of feeling and exhaustion and joy and loss and all of those things. It's just like letting it do what it's doing. I remember many years ago when I was still living in England, I'm meeting a woman whose mother had died about, um, I think, a little over a year before. And she came from a Buddhist culture, and she missed her mother a lot. She loved her mother very much, and she had a lot of grief about her mother dying. And then she had this idea that she shouldn't feel grief as a buddhist you shouldn't feel grief if you're feeling grief it's because you're attached and that's attachment's wrong so you shouldn't feel grief and so she was in this kind of double bind where she did feel grief she did feel grief and yet she felt she shouldn't she wasn't really allowed to then she wasn't really a good practitioner to feel grief and so then the grief would be pressed down judged and controlled and then it wouldn't have the chance to move through in its natural way and so it's kind of going on for a long time so it's, it's a kind of a catch-22 where it was just, it's just getting stuck in this thing of it shouldn't be there but it is there but it shouldn't but I should be better than that but I'm not and it's like this and so this is uh where the the self has got involved you know the ego has got involved like I should be a certain way or I shouldn't be a certain way and and then there's like, well, how is it right now, actually? What's the reality of the situation right now? And then when we really turn towards that, without judging, controlling, wanting, not wanting, then it's just like this. And however this is, is arising, going through a process that is going to cease. It's just like that. So It's easy to get into an idea of, you know, we think we're in control. (laughs) We like to believe we're in control, and yet, you know, nature, wow, it has its own agenda. Birth and death are probably the, the strongest... Sickness, also the strongest uh, teachers of that. And the Buddha did call aging, sickness, and death the uh, heavenly messengers. They were not our enemies, but they're our, our teachers, giving us the message of you know, this that this world that we hold on to, that we get entangled with and ensnared in it's it's ever changing can't be we can't have what we're looking for we can't hold on to anything we can settle and open and get curious about what's going on we can cultivate wholesome we can take care to not feed the unwholesome and if we can't manage to not feed it, then at least rein it in. So, you know, to be a very hard judge and saying, it must, it must be like this, you should be like that, that, that becomes another kilesa, another um, problem. We, we're, we're trying to control too harshly rather than steer, and guide, and... Um, ultimately surrender so certainly the 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 practice you know, the practice of ethics is is so 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 important and it's one of the one of the things i value very very highly in my life to be with other people who you know, who have ethics, good ethics as a as a they, that that's important to them, and it's it's important to me too. And you know, if we're too stringent, we don't we don't allow for meeting ourselves as we are right now. So it's finding that balance, compassion for how things are right now. And then wisdom to know don't hold on to the stuff that hurts. Don't hold on to the stuff that gives you that temporary pleasure and then hurts. Mm-hmm. The wisdom to know it and, and to sometimes have to, you know, allow a little bit of a harmless, um, relatively harmless indulgence or, or um yeah in in what is unwholesome, not so that you can just get more and more into it, but so that you're not putting a lid on so you can get you can get to know what's here and allow it to be seen and understood and transformed. Yes, and the cultivation of, of kindness and generosity and courage, you know, these things are so so essential in a life. And also that are just very aware at the moment of the importance of sangha you know i'm like out here far away from all of you but we can still meet online which is lovely and then there's the you know the community here that my mum, my mom's sangha you could say like the who people who she has touched and influenced and inspired and encouraged over the years and people showing up with you know um it creates a wholesome connection a connection through kindness and love so sangha you know how like reaching out and being part of a bigger bigger sangha not just me in my little path but you know helping each other along so that's really just what I want to share today. Really. Now our meditation practice gives us some stability and really starts to create the transformation. Without, without meditation, it's very hard to change our habits because we don't we're still seeing within the same little world experience. So the meditation is essential for settling and allowing things to, to, to drop away and to experience different different realities, different different, uh, different perceptions, or it. to experience a bigger a bigger world or a bigger understanding than we can through thinking or discussing it's essential and then there's and also we can know you know we can have like understand teachings and have really clear understanding and think no i really know it and then life just challenges us on the most visceral level so there's nothing wrong in that that's how it goes i look back to the buddha's teachings it's like wow that was going on all the time with, with pretty much every character that you can read about in the suttas you know, there's like the aspiration and understanding and then just life you know challenging and sometimes grinding down or you know incredibly there's so many challenges coming to people at that time and still now because that is part of life and so to to make that also part of the practice to that this isn't wrong. It isn't that I shouldn't be that way. It's like, okay, here it comes. How do I meet this? And then seeing who you are on the other side of it. You know, is there is there more spaciousness? Are you are you uh, more stable, or strong? Do you have? Are you a bit more forgiving or compassionate? Or, understanding or have you let go of the beautiful aspiration of being a perfect person you can just be with things as they are so it seems that life will just keep on giving us opportunities till we get there and uh you know the dharma gives us the the tools with which to work with those challenges of life I'm going to end there and uh, open up for any discussion, sharing or questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.